Welcome to MoFo Perspectives, a podcast by Morrison and Forrester, where we share the perspectives of our clients, colleagues, subject matter experts, and lawyers. Hello, and welcome to part five of Morrison and Forrester's COVID-19 podcast series. I'm Michael Ward, partner at MoFo and head of the firm's patent and life sciences groups. I'm joined today by one of my colleagues, Janie Shulman, employment and labor partner in our Los Angeles office, as well as a key member of the firm's COVID-19 task force. Researchers and vaccine manufacturers around the world are working at record speed to develop the best ways to treat and prevent COVID-19. Today, we'll be focusing on the availability of the vaccine may impact the workforce, including compliance requirements, employer and employee rights, and whether employers can mandate employees must be vaccinated. Janie, glad to have you joining the podcast. Since this is your first time with us, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Thanks, Mike. Happy to be here. As you mentioned, I specialize in employment and labor law. I've been with Morrison and Forster for my entire career for 33 years as an attorney. I recently finished a 10-year stint as co-chair of our employment and labor practice group. And for the last nine or 10 months, I've been focusing heavily on the effect of COVID in the workplace and all the new regulations that have come out of that. So the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines received emergency use authorization, otherwise known as an EUA, and have begun being distributed. What impact will this have on our workplace? It'll have a huge impact. For employees who have jobs that cannot be done remotely, it holds the promise of a return to work, a return to income for a lot of people, and being able to put food on the table and a roof over their heads. For employees who have been working remotely, it will mean an eventual return to the office or other workplace, though likely with permanent changes in the way we do in-office work versus remote work. And of course, in most businesses, employees are the lifeblood of the organization. And so having the vaccine will mean the beginning of businesses being able to return to some sense of normalcy. And of course, without everybody having to worry about becoming potentially very seriously ill. So the $64 million question everyone is asking, can employers mandate that employees must take a vaccine as a condition of returning to work? That's really two questions. May they mandate and should they? Okay, then let's start with may they. Well, on December 16th, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, which is the federal government agency that oversees most employment discrimination laws, issued new guidance regarding the vaccines in the workplace. The guidance does not ever squarely come out and say, yes, mandatory vaccines are allowed, but it does say that vaccines are not medical examinations under the Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA. And that's important because medical exams are highly regulated and very limited. And if you read through the guidance, it's written in a way that clearly contemplates mandatory vaccine programs. So At least I think as far as the EEOC is concerned, yes, mandatory vaccine programs are permitted. Janie, does it matter at all that the vaccines are being distributed 
under an EUA or an emergency use authorization rather than a final FDA approval? It's not clear. And this may be an asterisk to what I just said about vaccines being mandatory and that being permitted. So it's important to keep in mind that vaccines don't yet have full-blown FDA approval, and it will be a while until they do. And so in its discussion of mandatory vaccines, the EEOC notes, and this is a quote, some COVID-19 vaccines may only be available to the public for the foreseeable future under EUA granted by the FDA, which is different than approval under FDA vaccine licensure. And so then the EEOC goes on to link to an FDA webpage regarding emergency use authorization for vaccines. And it quotes from that webpage where it says, FDA has an obligation to ensure that recipients of the vaccine under an EUA are informed that they have the option to accept or refuse the vaccine and of any available alternatives to the product. In addition, although the EEOC doesn't mention it in its new guidance, the FDA fact sheets that go out with the two currently available vaccines tell recipients and instructs healthcare providers to tell recipients that it is the recipient's choice to receive or not receive the vaccine. So the statutory EUA requirements don't appear to address a private employer's ability to mandate the vaccine. And the EEOC hasn't come out and stated that these FBI statements about the vaccine being rejectable have any impact on the employer's right under the ADA to mandate the vaccine. But nevertheless, the EEOC included this topic in its new guidance, and it at least raises the question as to how the EEOC or OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or the courts might respond to an employee who objects to taking the vaccine because it's only been approved under an EUA, and if the employer takes adverse action against the employee for making that objection. We just don't know how that will play out. So does this mean employers have been given sort of a carte blanche to require all employees to be vaccinated under all circumstances? No, not at all. Even setting aside the EUA issue, the EEOC is putting limits on the mandate of vaccines. So a little background would be helpful. The EEOC first issued pandemic-related guidance in 2009 in response to the H1N1 influenza pandemic. And until it issued its new guidance just last month, the EEOC had been relying on that 2009 H1N1 guidance for COVID as well. The EEOC based that 2009 guidance on traditional concepts and rules found in the ADA and its regulations. So under the ADA, employers may require that an individual not pose a direct threat in the workplace. And a direct threat is defined as a significant risk of substantial harm to the health or safety of the individual or others that cannot be eliminated or reduced by reasonable accommodation. In March of 2020, the EEOC declared that COVID-19 poses a direct threat. The EEOC never made this declaration with regard to the H1N1 influenza pandemic. And the direct threat declaration 
seemed to inform much of EEOC's guidance regarding COVID-19 vaccines. So Janie, why, why is this direct threat declaration so important? Well, when there is a direct threat, employers have more leeway to make medical inquiries and keep employees out of the workplace, even when they're disabled. So generally, the ADA prohibits covered employers from making disability-related inquiries or requiring medical examinations of current employees unless those inquiries or exams are job-related and consistent with business necessity. So this means that normally, an employer can't just willy-nilly inquire about an employee's specific medical conditions or require that current employees undergo medical exams. But disability-related inquiries and medical exams are considered job-related and consistent with business necessity, where an employee will pose a direct threat if he or she has a specific medical condition. Because the EEOC has declared that COVID-19 poses a direct threat, employers have more, but not unfettered leeway to probe employees about their health and require exams as they relate to COVID-19 and to require vaccines as a condition of employment. So you said an employer's ability to inquire is not completely unfettered. What are the limits? Well, employers must consider reasonable accommodations for disabilities and for sincerely held religious beliefs, observances, and practices that prevent an employee from taking the vaccine. So what is the reasonable accommodation requirement for employees with disabilities? Let's say that there's an employee that says he or she can't take the vaccine due to a disability. The employer's first reaction might be to say, oh, we need to exclude that employee from the workplace. But it's not so simple. Under the ADA, the EEOC says that the employer first has to establish that the particular unvaccinated employee poses a direct threat. The EEOC has taken the position that not every unvaccinated employee poses a direct threat, even though COVID-19 itself does. They say that you need to look at the job the employee does, how physically close the employee works to other employees. For example, it may be different in a warehouse where people are on a tight assembly line or a poultry plant as compared to an office setting where people have private offices and doors that shut. If there is a direct threat, then before excluding the employee, the employer has to consider whether there is a reasonable accommodation that would eliminate or reduce the risk such that the employee is no longer a direct threat. What's the definition of a reasonable accommodation? Well, generally, it's an accommodation that would allow an employee to perform the essential functions of his or her job without posing a direct threat and that does not impose an undue hardship on the employer. So some examples could be a private office for somebody who doesn't normally have one or making the employee wear a mask at work and socially distance from everybody else or sit in a different location, things like that. So then what constitutes an undue hardship? Unfortunately, that's a pretty nebulous standard. The EEOC defines it as excessive expense or burden. In other words, an employer doesn't have to provide an accommodation if that particular accommodation would pose excessive expense or burden on the company. But that's a case-by-case inquiry. 
So you need to look at the size of the company, the cost of the accommodation, how the accommodation will affect other employees and business operations. You look at whether there's staff who could cover for the employee. He or she is given time off or is placed in a different location. You have to look at whether there are alternative jobs available that the employee could safely do without a vaccine or an alternative location from which the employee could perform his or her duties. For example, let's say you have a receptionist at a senior citizen center. In that case, it might be an excessive expense or burden to accommodate a receptionist who says, I can't take the vaccine because of a disability. The receptionist couldn't really do the job from home or from a back room if the job is to greet senior citizens at the door. On the other hand, if you have, say, a researcher at a think tank, that person may be able to do his or her job with little or no public contact or contact with other employees, and maybe the employer could accommodate that person by by letting the employee work in a private office or work from home. It really depends on what that researcher is doing, whether or not he or she needs to have contact with other people. So what happens if there's no reasonable accommodation that can be made for a disabled employee who cannot take the vaccine? If there is really no reasonable accommodation that allows the employee to stay in the workplace without posing a direct threat, then, and only then, the employee can be excluded from the workplace. But that's not the end of the inquiry. It doesn't mean you can fire the employee. The employer first has to consider whether there's any reasonable accommodation outside of the workplace that would allow the employee to do the job, such as working remotely. And EEOC says that the employer has to consider the employee's rights under all applicable equal employment opportunity laws and other laws. So, for example, Maybe the employee is entitled to take time off under the Family and Medical Leave Act until the pandemic wanes, or at least for as long as the employee has FMLA coverage. So there's a lot of analysis that has to go into the decision-making process. And if there's no accommodation that works or additional rights the employee may have? Then EEOC says it's okay to terminate the employee's employment. So as you can see, this process demands a lot of employers, but employers should take note that a lot of the COVID-related employment lawsuits that we've been seeing relate to allegations of employers failing to provide reasonable accommodations, allegedly failing to provide time off required by law or remote work. So it's important for employers to take note of these obligations and to incorporate them into their protocols. So will the issue of reasonable accommodation and direct threat disappear now that the vaccine is being administered? Eventually, but not right away. It's obviously going to take a while until enough people are vaccinated that we have herd immunity and the virus doesn't pose a real risk to the population. In the meantime, public health guidance tells us to continue taking precautions to wear masks, to continue with social distancing and the like. So I would say employers really need to wait until the guidance changes and regulations are relaxed before they consider not reasonably accommodating employees who can't or won't take the vaccine. Is there anything else about disability accommodation that we should know about? 
Well, yeah, actually, pregnancy conditions, certain medical conditions that arise during pregnancy can be considered disabilities under the ADA. So employers need to be aware that if a pregnant employee says that she can't take the vaccine due to a pregnancy-related condition, the employer may have to make reasonable accommodation for that employee as well. Does reasonable accommodation for religious beliefs work the same way? Sort of, but with some important differences. Unlike disability, religious accommodation is governed by Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, not the Americans with Disabilities Act. And like the ADA, Title VII has an accommodation obligation for religious beliefs and observance and practices. But the accommodation obligation for employers is a lighter obligation than for disability. So in this case, an undue hardship is anything that is more than a de minimis cost, a minor cost. If it poses more than a de minimis cost, then the employer does not have to provide the accommodation. But, there's always a but, employers need to take note of the fact that This may not be true under comparable state laws. So under some state religious discrimination laws, they've adopted the same kind of undue hardship standard for religion as exists for disability. And whether we're talking about religious accommodation or ADA or any other of these accommodations and obligations that we've been talking about, it's really important for employers to remember that they should check state and local laws, as well as federal laws, because they do vary a lot from state to state and sometimes from city to city within a state. Did the EEOC say anything else important in its new guidance? As a matter of fact, they did. So first of all, they came out and said vaccines are not medical exams. And as I mentioned at the beginning, medical exams are highly regulated. But since vaccines are not medical exams, then it's okay to ask employees if they've had one, a vaccine. It's okay to ask employees to present proof of a vaccine because they're not medical exams. And it's okay to mandate them in the way that we've been talking about. But interestingly, the EEOC has said that the pre-screening questions that need to be asked before a vaccine is administered are disability-related inquiries because they can elicit information about a disability. And therefore, any questions that are asked by the person administering the vaccine, these pre-screening questions, have to be job-related and consistent with business necessity. And that can be a little tricky because these questions may or may not be job-related and consistent with business necessity. Now, the EEOC put two exceptions in their guidance to that. If the vaccine is administered by an independent third party, not by the employer, and not by an entity contracted by the employer, but a completely independent third party, then the questions don't have to be job-related and consistent with business necessity. Or if the vaccine itself is voluntary and answering the questions is voluntary, then EEOC says that the questions don't have to be job-related and consistent with business necessity. And given these very strict guidelines, I think we may see a lot of employers choose not to take responsibility for administering the vaccine themselves, but rather sending employees to do it elsewhere and bring proof of vaccine. Because as I said, asking for proof of vaccine is not considered a disability-related inquiry. 
There was one other interesting thing that EEOC raised in the guidance. There's another statute that they oversee. It's called the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, or GINA, and it's designed to protect employees from discrimination based on genetic traits. And EEOC seemed to anticipate concerns that because the vaccine has been developed using this newish process called mRNA, which involves some sliver of genetic material of the virus, that somehow the vaccine implicates GINA. And in the guidance, the EEOC was very clear that just because the vaccine uses messenger RNA, it doesn't mean that administering it violates GINA in any way. And the CDC guidance has emphasized that the vaccine does not in any way interact with our own DNA and affect our DNA in any way. But again, the EEOC says the pre-screening questions that ask about family history, if there are any, or other genetic information would violate GINA. So maybe it's better to let an independent third party handle the vaccines if those questions, if those kinds of questions are necessary before administering the vaccine. So are there any other issues? Now that you mention it, as a matter of fact, there are a few. Employers with unions are going to need to think about whether or not they have an obligation to bargain over the vaccine, whether it's a vaccine mandate or other vaccine protocols that the employer is going to implement. And employers should be aware that even in non-union settings, employees generally are protected under the Federal National Labor Relations Act when they engage in concerted activity regarding the terms and conditions of their employment. So the, the law that allows us to have unions also allows employees to talk to each other and get together and advocate for certain terms and conditions, even when they're not unionized. So if a group of employees come together to object to a vaccine mandate or other vaccine rules, and the employer takes adverse action against the employees for doing so, the National Labor Relations Board may take the view that the employer has committed an unfair labor practice under the National Labor Relations Act. And just so you know, concerted activity just means two people. It doesn't have to be a big group. And it could possibly even be one person reaching out on social media to a larger group of employees saying, hey, come join me in this effort. Should employers mandate the vaccine? Well, given the background that we just discussed, I think you can see that there are pros and cons for mandating the vaccine versus merely encouraging it. So let me start with some of the pros of a mandate. Obviously, if everybody has to have the vaccine, you're less likely to have a COVID-19 outbreak in the workplace. And that would be better for everyone's health and it would be better for business and arguably better for public safety. And it would reduce the risk of litigation for the employer from an employee or a member of the public who claims to have been infected with COVID-19 at the business. The flip side, the cons of the mandate are possible claims of adverse side effects from the vaccine. You know, an employee says, you made me take this and I got sick. Possible discrimination claims from employees who say, hey, employer, you failed to accommodate my disability or my religion. 
possible negative PR from disgruntled employees who claim the mandate impinges on their freedom or who are anti-vaxxers. Possibly the employer could lose some of its valued workforce. If employees quit or are fired because they refuse to take the vaccine, that could be harmful. And employers need to think about what if we mandate the vaccine and employee refuses to take it? Are we really going to fire that person? And then, as we talked about, if there's a mandate, the employer has a greater risk of an ADA violation with the pre-screen questions if the employer is administering the vaccines itself or hires an entity to administer the vaccine for it. And what about the flip side? What are the pros and cons of encouraging but not mandating vaccines? Well, obviously, all those cons of the mandate I just talked about would pretty much not exist if you're just encouraging it. And there's one school of thought that employers might still get sufficient compliance to keep the workplace safe using encouragement rather than a mandate. As we know, a lot of people don't like to be told what to do, and they may cooperate more readily with encouragement. I've seen some commentators argue that the carrot works better than the stick, and some people may feel less worried about their freedom being impinged upon, or they want to take some time to digest the safety of the vaccine. And sometimes some carrots might work like gift cards or cash, uh, maybe a reduction in health insurance premiums for people who take the vaccine. So that's another way of looking at it. If you only encourage, but you don't mandate the vaccine, then of course the employer would miss out on the benefits of a mandate that I just talked about a little while ago. So what litigation risks do you foresee from vaccines in the workplace or not in the workplace? Let's start by bearing in mind that just because employees bring claims or create a plaintiff's lawyer's device, new and improved claims, that doesn't necessarily mean they will prevail. So yes, I foresee that there will be claims related to vaccines, but that doesn't mean the plaintiffs will necessarily win. What kind of claims might these be? Well, I could see claims by employees who contract COVID-19 in a workplace where the vaccine wasn't mandated, that the employer somehow put employees at risk by not mandating the vaccines. But then on the flip side, I can see claims by employees where the vaccine was mandated that the vaccine caused side effects or impinged on freedom that harmed the employee in some way. There will probably also be some claims about failure to accommodate disability, failure to accommodate sincerely held religious belief, perhaps disparate treatment discrimination under the ADA or under Title VII. For instance, let's say an employee says, well, I refuse to take the vaccine, and so you, employer, didn't promote me into this new position that I wanted, and this is because I'm disabled. So that's disability discrimination. And then people can blame all kinds of adverse decisions on race or ethnicity or their membership in other protected categories. They might say, well, you said this was because I didn't take the vaccine, but this really was because of my race or my age or whatever. I can also foresee retaliation claims by employees who say they refused to take the vaccine and the employer took some sort of adverse action against the employee because of the employee allegedly disclosing a safety risk of the vaccine. 
employers should bear in mind that OSHA protects as whistleblowers employees who have a reasonable belief that there is a condition at work that creates a real danger of serious illness or death. So if an employee has a medical condition, such as somebody who has a history of allergies or adverse reactions to vaccines and protests the vaccine mandate, and then not long after that, suffers some sort of adverse consequence at work, the employee may turn around and say, well, this is a violation of OSHA. This was retaliation for my protest. Even if that's not what was going on, if it was close in time to the protest, you might end up with a retaliation claim. So it seems like employers may be darned if they do and darned if they don't. Should they just throw up their hands? It's not that bad. You know, for the last nine months or so, maybe now 10 months, we've all been operating in uncharted waters to some degree, whether we're talking about employment claims, product liability, consumer claims, privacy, etc. The way employers address vaccines will require one more such act where we can't predict the outcome with certainty, but there are ways to mitigate risk. So for example, in deciding whether to mandate the vaccine or merely encourage it, employers really should do an individual assessment of their own workplace because every company is different. They should look at what kind of workplace is this? Is there a lot of unavoidable contact with the public or with other employees? What is the personality or character of the workforce? Is this a group of people who will respond better to a mandate or better to encouragement and some aspect of personal choice? Is the employer really willing to terminate the employment of employees who refuse the vaccine? The company should also think about how sensitive is the company to negative PR if word gets out that it's requiring vaccine over employees' objection. Or alternatively, how sensitive is the company to negative PR if word gets out of a COVID outbreak at a company where there was no vaccine mandate? So I think if employers put some thought into this in advance of going forward, it will help mitigate the risk of claims in their unique workplace. And regardless of which way the employer goes, regardless of which path taken, a company can further mitigate risk by documenting its justification for adopting a mandate or for not adopting a mandate, developing a vaccine protocol that addresses issues like a safety protocol for administering the vaccine. Presumably, it'll be administered by pros and either off-site or on-site a protocol that includes what the adverse consequences might be of refusing the vaccine, what incentives are going to be offered for taking the vaccine. There should be a communication plan to the employees, educating them about the benefits of the vaccine and what the company's policy is, so there are no surprises. The employer should let employees know that reasonable accommodation is available, is required by law, and that nobody will be retaliated against for raising legitimate concerns. The protocol should also make sure that there's a system in place for maintaining the confidentiality of medical information as employers normally do. The guidance also says that employers need to train HR personnel and supervisors regarding the company's legal obligations under employment laws about reasonable accommodation, the duty not to retaliate, 
again, maintaining employee privacy, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think having a plan in place and making sure that the people who are running it know what they're doing and what their legal obligations are and that the employees who have to live with it understand it, I think that's going to go a really long way towards mitigating the risks of litigation. So any final thoughts for us today, Janie? You know, as my daughter says, hopefully soon we will be able to return to precedented times. We've had enough of these unprecedented times. But of all the employment-related legal and business risks that have arisen since the start of the pandemic, I'd like to think that how to approach the vaccine is a good problem to have because it means we have a vaccine that, by all accounts, works and will hopefully get this pandemic under control in the near future. Thanks, Janie, very much for today's podcast. Please make sure to subscribe to the MoFo Perspectives podcast so you don't miss an episode. If you have any questions about what you heard today or would like more information on this topic, please visit mofo.com slash podcasts. Again, that's mofo, M-O-F-O dot com slash podcasts.